Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Uh, good morning. We are so happy to be here with you, and I say we because my husband is here worshiping together with you. I'm honored and humbled to be a part of this community, even if it's just for today. Uh, as Tyler said, I am the executive director at New Life Prison Ministries, and I just want to explain what that means. Uh, what we do at New Life is we uh, serve the 40,000 inmates that are across Canada. And we do that through trying to deliver the message of the good news of Jesus Christ through Bible studies and mentoring them with people on the outside to write letters back and forth to them. And I have to tell you that I've been doing this now for 18 months. I took the job because God, like, literally pushed me in that direction. It's not something I ever thought I would do, but it's, it's incredibly rewarding And I get to hear from students all the time about this beautiful transformation that they're experiencing that we all know, or maybe some of us don't. You're just trying to figure out that only comes from Jesus. And so um, it's a blessing to be here today uh, representing New Life Prison Ministries. Um, I've been married for 27 years. My husband is here with me today. We have three beautiful children. (laughs) I still can't believe I'm going to say these ages. My son is 22. He just got married last month. I am a (laughs) mother-in-law. His wife's name uh, is Mackenzie, and he is Aiden. I have an 18-year-old beautiful daughter, Ava, studying at Western. And then I have a 15-year-old, Sarah, going into grade 11. And when I say those ages, I feel so old. Uh, but I'm so thankful that God is growing our family. Uh, every, every day I give thanks for the growth in my family. I'm also a student, as Tyler has listed my list of accomplishments. When he says it, I feel like I'm either stupid or I'm an overachiever. I, I always bite off more than I can chew. But yes, I am a student at Tyndale University and I am getting my Master's of Divinity in Clinical Counseling. I'm currently interning as a psychotherapist at the Christian Counseling Center here in London. And I love that work. It is very rewarding to be in front of people who are seeking change. The reason I'm here today is because Tyler and I did this talk together. And I have to tell you, my best memory of Tyler, first of all, he's quite the guy. You know, he moves around a lot and he wears the funkiest shoes. And, and, but that's not, that, is not my, that is not my memory. My memory was, I, 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 I'm old. And so this is the technology that I use when I'm delivering a talk. Tyler's like, oh, Nadia you should totally get this like iPad. It's got this cool software and it just pulls things up. And I'm like, Tyler, that's never going to happen. I'm never, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to, I'm never going to be the iPad girl, but I will tell you, I have upgraded to page protectors. I know, I know. I feel, I I feel a little bit like, wow, woo, let's, uh, let's, let's do that. So, um, so Tyler did express that we met and it was like the conversation. It was like we knew each other for a really long time. I've only met him the one time, but I feel deeply connected to Collective Church for a couple of reasons. Let me just share. Uh, I actually am a social media junkie in, in that I love to watch how <clears throat> social media is impacting marketing. And so I taught not-for-profit marketing at Fanshawe. 
a number of years ago. And when I saw a collective church pop up on like my ads, I was like, what's this? This is cool. And I, I sort of did some stalking and I realized that Tyler not only was really cool, but like he meant it. And, and there was this depth to him. And uh, I started praying. I started praying for this church to grow. I started praying for this community to prosper. I was working in a church at the time. And I really, as Tyler expressed, I am in love with the church, capital C. And so um, I can feel a groundswell here. Uh, I know we've come through a, a, you know, a couple of years that have been really challenging. But there is definitely something God is doing here. And so if I'm a small part of that, I'm just honored. Um, so, Tyler reached out to, for me to speak this, this summer, and I said, yes. I don't even think he could hit his refresh on his computer, and I was like, sure, I would love to speak. Uh, we confirmed the date. The, literally, that was the only detail I think I asked. So, so, what's the date? And I checked my calendar, and I could speak. And then I said, oh, hey, 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 by the way, what's the topic? And this was Tyler's response to me, almost verbatim. This is the email. We are doing a series called Extraordinary, Embracing Ancient Wisdom in the Proverbs. I'm like, great. I've mapped out the series, and I was thinking it would be great for you to speak on the value of discipline and correction, especially some, speaking from someone who is spiritually mature, having navigated many of life's challenges. I'm like, okay. Uh, and as a parent of older kids, I penciled in three verses. These are the verses. If you want to change them, let me know. You do what you need to do. My first thought, no joke, was I must have been having a really great day when Tyler met me because for him to have the confidence that I have any ability to speak on discipline and wisdom, I was either on my game that day or um, I'm not really sure. Throughout my lifetime, I would say that discipline, and my husband will attest to that, I'm not even looking at him because he knows, uh, <laughs> discipline is one of those things that actually falls on my personal list of things that I am a student of and I probably forever will be. I'm not sure uh, about any of you, but what I think of when I think of a disciplined person, I think of marathon runners or Olympians or somebody who's got multiple, multiple PhDs and has like multiple degrees. I did that. I, I have some degrees, but I wouldn't say that I was disciplined in getting them. I think of accountants. I think of engineers. Those are the people that I think about. And in case you're wondering, I'm really not any of those things. And so... I also have a little issue with spiritually mature. I really think you were just trying to call me old, but, 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 I'll take it, I'll take it. Lastly, I should, uh, I should have been more disciplined enough to ask about the topic before I said yes, but I didn't, and so here I am uh, spending this beautiful Sunday morning with you. So all kidding aside, I have spent... Uh, a great deal of time in prayer, talking, uh, thinking, talking to God, thinking about this topic. And I need you to know that uh, I don't take on this topic lightly because it is something that I work on. It is something that I am a student of. And I have accepted that I will always be a student of the school of discipline. I also want to give a disclaimer. Yes, he listed all of my degrees. I do have a master's of theological studies working on my master's of divinity, but I am not a theologian. God has not given me the gift of being a theologian. I am consumed, like over the top consumed, with the steps it takes for humans to flourish. I love studying human behavior. And while I have studied theology and I have some wisdom in that area, my talk today will be geared towards what human behavior is like. 
And I truly come at this from the standpoint and the experience in knowing from my personal life and others around me that Jesus was the example of human flourishing. He gave us the example and he was the example. He had to have been. He was perfect. But what he did when he died for us is that he gave us a path to flourish as human beings. And so that I pray, I pray today that my wisdom comes through these words, what I've learned, the mistakes that I've made, and that um, God speaks to each of you. So the verse that we're jumping off of today is from Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. To learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. I love when the Bible says words like stupid because I understand that word. Uh, I gave some examples of people or professions that I thought may be better at practicing discipline. I would say that for the most part, though, most human beings do not like discipline. They do not like correction. And we can date this right back to the beginning of creation when Adam and Eve were given the rule to live by by God. In Genesis 2:17, God says, You are free to eat from any tree in Eden but you are not to eat from the tree of knowledge because that will cause you to die. I mean, simple, right? <laughs> I mean, if I was going to die, why would I eat from the tree? But they were pursuing instant wisdom. They, they were deceived by the devil, and they thought this is going to be the easy path to get to wisdom. And we see later the reaction that happens after they take a bite of the apple, we see in Genesis an example of how humans react when they're given discipline. Of course, the first response, and the first response still is, Adam and Eve were ashamed. They realized that they were naked. They started to cover up. Then they tried to hide from God, not their best move. <laughs> Probably feeds into it's stupid to hate correction because God knew exactly where they were because he created everything. Then, of course, the ultimate, they blamed one another for what had happened, and then they paid the ultimate consequence. They were banished from Eden and experienced spiritual death. <clears throat> so one might infer that when Adam and Eve were deceived into finding the easy plan to ultimate wisdom from the tree of knowledge, their lack of discipline, their lack of following the rules led to spiritual destruction. And so this is the basis of the foundation of many of the Proverbs that talk about wisdom. This is our plight. In our pursuit to wisdom, we are required to do the one thing that we hate, and that is to be disciplined, to understand his correction of us. And our actions are corrected all the time by God and others around us. A little about my journey as a Christ follower, because I think it needs to, to be said so that you understand what I'm coming from. While I may seem spiritually mature or a little old, uh, I need you to all know that I'm actually only 16 or 17 years old. And let me explain. Yes, I know I'm not 16 or 17 years old, but my decision of faith came at the age of 33. If you're quick and do the math, that means I'm about 50. So yes, I am middle-aged. My journey in life began at 33. I was looking for all of these ways to seek wisdom on the easy path. You know, it looked like, if you had met me then, it looked like I was this assertive, achievement-oriented, that hasn't changed, uh, businesswoman who had two beautiful kids and a marriage. And it looked great. Like, it really looked great. Like, if, I, if Instagram was a thing back then, it wasn't, thank God. Um, my, my, like, Instagram photo wall would be that perfect Instagram photo wall, and it, it would look really good. But what you wouldn't have seen, because I was really good at hiding it, was a deeply broken marriage, an abusive family upbringing, and years filled with anger, despair, and depression. 
I may not have been very disciplined at the time, but I was quite creative at trying to improve my life. I have always had a bit of grit. And so this came in the way of buying bigger houses and getting nicer cars and moving up corporate ladders at whatever cost, let me add, lying, cheating, all of that. And the crossroads moment came for me when my marriage almost ended and my family became a statistic, almost. Didn't, praise God. Can I get an amen? Uh, while I'm not sure how, to, how it happened or why I felt the need, I cried out to a God I barely knew. And I didn't know if he was going to respond. I didn't even know if he existed. And crazy as it may be, you probably are all understanding what happened next. He responded to my cry. He responded by giving me an invitation through a friend to a course called Alpha. The second invitation came to, an in, to go to a community church by another friend, a separate friend who didn't know that first friend. And then lastly, into the office of an amazing Christian counselor who we owe a debt of gratitude to, uh, where my husband and I started the long journey of healing and deep, from our deep brokenness. So as I share these thoughts of how wisdom is built through discipline, I need you to know that I've learned this all the hard way. <laughs> So, you know, take notes. <laughs> and my journey has been filled with many setbacks and many detours. And still, even to this day, sometimes I have those same setbacks. I would also say that I'm still very much a student and I ask God for wisdom on how to be more disciplined every single day. So let's go back to our main verse today from King Solomon. Chapter 12, verse 1, to learn you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. Proverbs chapter 12 in its entirety deals with life filled with contradictions and contrasts. When you read it, you will clearly see that Solomon was comparing a life that honors God with a life that rejects his wisdom. And so when we look at this particular verse and we pick it apart, we can see the contract, contrast of wisdom through a disciplined life versus a life that rebukes correction and therefore leads to stupidity. Well, there are many verses in the Bible that refer to this sort of contract contrast. In fact, it is the plight of the human condition, so it's everywhere. So first and foremost, I think we need to understand that we all have a built-in desire to get wisdom. It's right there in front of us all the time. We want to learn more. We want to do more. We want to try more. If you've ever been around a newborn baby or a small infant, you will see this instinct alive and well. Again, remember, I love studying human behavior. Children are curious. They want to make sense of their surroundings. They will copy you. They will mimic you. They will stick out their tongue if you stick out their tongue, your tongue. And God gave us this built-in desire to learn more and to gain more knowledge because he wants us to do that. It's built in. And as we mature and we get a little older, we actually want to grow in wisdom, not just in knowledge of our surroundings. So imagine if we allowed a small child's curiosity to run wild and not put any boundaries on it. If we just let them do everything, taste everything, run everywhere, and then, you know, just have them figure it out, right from wrong, right? I remember being a first-time mom. My son, Aiden, anybody who knows him even today knows this, he's a very curious and inquisitive child. He asked so many questions, it was exhausting. He was also fearless. And he wanted to do everything, try everything, touch everything, taste everything all the time. Patrick and I were exhausted for a number of years. 
Sometimes, even today, we're exhausted. <laughs> and he doesn't even live with us anymore. So uh, any parents in the room know that when you have a child like this, it's really scary. Imagine for a moment if I just let him explore, never put any boundaries on his exploration, let him do exactly what he wanted to do and go anywhere. It wouldn't take long before you thought I was crazy. It probably wouldn't take long before you called CAS on me and said, this, this woman is in trouble. She, she needs some help, right? We can't do that. We don't do that with children. We, we need to put boundaries on them to tell them right from wrong because we can see further up the road than they can. We can understand that if they do something, they're going to fall and therefore they might be really hurt. This is a simple example, but it's exactly what God does for us all the time. He understands the dangers of our world. He knows exactly what's going on. His perspective is much wider and bigger than our own. Side note, I always use this metaphor. If you've ever been in a therapist chair, metaphors are like a pivotal moment in therapy, but I use this metaphor all the time to understand God's perspective. I went to Rome in 2005, and I, and I toured the Vatican, and they have these massive tapestries, so big, like probably 16 feet long and 10 feet wide. And when you stand close to the tapestry, all you see is like, actually, it's quite ugly. You just see like these little dots in front of you. But when you stand back, when you stand back 20 feet, you can see the entire picture. Well, that's God's view of what's happening in our lives. We have this little, little perspective, and he has this massive, massive view. Well, when we are parenting, we know what's up the road, and God knows what's up the road for us. So if we look at the example in Genesis, God knew. God knew exactly what was about to happen when they were tempted and they followed through with eating the apple. He knew that destruction was ahead, and he warned them. He tried to protect them. He put boundaries up and provided correction and discipline. Back to my son for a minute. Around the age of one and a half or so, Aiden uh, was not walking. He was running all the time, running, running, running. I'm not sure how many photos we have of Aiden with a split lip or, you know, a lump on his head or bruised knees, but there are many. It was the winter, and my husband had just installed a gas fireplace in our den to keep us warm. Our son was in awe of how the flames could come on when you could just flick a switch. He thought it was so cool. And I, I know that we did everything to tell him. <laughs> I have a picture in my mind right now of my husband sitting in front of the fireplace, quietly saying, you know, hot, hot. In fact, I think one of Aiden's first words was hot. Um, but he was enthralled with the fireplace. He was enthralled. We put up barriers. We got one of those fireplace screens. We did everything we could to protect him from touching the fire. Well, as much as we, as much as we did, his deep curiosity found a way, when we weren't looking, when we weren't in the room, to touch the glass on the fireplace. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Every mother and father in the room went, yeah. Um, he was fine, and his little hand healed, but not without a lot of pain and not without a lot of tears. And as much as we have this built-in desire to learn, I believe we also have a built-in desire to refuse the clear boundaries in our lives. This is a very simple example to show that's true. We told him, we even showed him, we tried to express to him what his curiosity of touching that flame would do. And guess what? He didn't, he didn't really listen. He touched the fireplace anyway. We see this in scripture all the time. The Apostle Paul explains this phenomenon in his letter to the Romans. In Romans 7.15, I don't really understand myself, for I, do, I, I, for I want to do what is right, but I don't, instead of do what I hate. 
I'm sure Aiden didn't want to touch the fireplace and get burned, but he wanted to experience that fire, so he touched it anyway. There are lots of theological reasons for our instinct to not loving the practice of spiritual discipline, but the truth is we are just sinners. Like, you can, you can layer it up as much as you want. You can try to explain the human phenomenon, but we are just sinners. And we think we know more than God at times in our lives. Lots of times. We fall into temptations all the time that the devil throws at us every single day. And Paul continues explaining this phenomenon as we go further in the book of Romans. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good for me. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me. You may not know this. I'm not sure where you're at in your spiritual journey, but you are here because you have sin living in you and you want to correct something in your life. You know, we need a savior. We need Jesus. If we didn't need Jesus, we wouldn't be sitting in this room. It's sin living in us that keeps, us getting, keeps getting us off the path, off the disciplined path. So our need to rebuke discipline or correction comes from our sinful nature. While my son knew that we loved him and that we were there to protect him, he also had this deep desire to try it his own way. He was so in awe of the flames and the fireplace that his little toddler brain negotiated a deal to wait until the moment that we left the room, knocked down all the barriers that we had put in the place, and then the scream for help from the people who actually set up the barriers to protect him. We do this every day. Just... Like that, our, my husband and I ran to my son, we cradled him up, we bandaged him, we put ointment on his hand, and even though he rebuked our discipline, he fell through all the barriers, we still swooped him up. And God does that for us every day. He responds with opens up, open arms to heal our souls from our own lack of discipline. Our Heavenly Father is just that amazing. And he continues to do it for me and everybody else in this room. So here's the beautiful thing. This trial and error moment for my son Aiden, when he was just a toddler, the burn he had on his hand, it healed. But the memory of that pain, the memory that he felt from touching that glass, from his parents applying the healing ointment and the bandages that he hated and so on, he learned, he grew, wisdom developed. In a small way, he became wise for an 18-month-old. And guess what he did? Because he was a talker. He told everyone, don't touch that glass. It's hot. Like anybody that could, would listen, you don't touch that glass. It's hot. It's hot. Don't touch the glass. Right? I mean, he was excited. He had learned something. And he wanted to share it with the world around him. And that's what the church does. The church is here to tell you not all of the rules but to say, hey, guess what? We have a better way. And so these rules are here for you to make you better. So what can we learn from this simple example? How do you build spiritual disciplines to help correct your behaviors when we get a little too close to the fire? See, discipline is defined as the practice of obeying something that makes your life better, boundaries that benefit you. As children, we have the rules given to us, you know? We have parents who tell us when to go to bed so that we get enough sleep, when to eat, what to eat so that we're nourished, and so on and so forth. But in adulthood, we're doing it on our own, right? Not really. We have this thing called the Bible, <laughs> and if we read it and we let it absorb into our souls, we can learn exactly the way to have human flourishing. Listen, as a therapist every day, 
Every single day, I witness people who are struggling in life. People who are at a crossroads like I was 16 years ago. People who have come to the end of themselves that have realized that exploring the world in their own terms is not going to work anymore. And they are desperate for the exact thing that they walked away from when they were kids, and that is discipline and correction. They say to me all the time, tell me what I need to do. Give me the steps that I need to take so that I can make my life better. They're looking for discipline because that's exactly what they walked away from and it doesn't working anymore. And at New Life Prison Ministries, when somebody has actually walked into a prison cell and realized that their life has been one series of misunfortunate events after another, and they usually are there because they're foolish, very few are there because they're calculated and evil. They're there because one mistake led to another mistake and another mistake and another mistake. And then that mistake led to prison. And they're begging us, begging chaplains, what do I do? How do I change my life? So I could have filled you up with lots of disciplines today that are the simple ones, you know, like the basics. Read your Bible, pray, come to church every week. Those are... Those are those are pretty easy. You wouldn't need me here to tell you that. I'm pretty sure that if you're here, you know that those are the things that you need to do. What I'm going to share with you today is what I have learned the hard way <laughs> as a Christ follower, and I still consider myself a new Christ follower. I'll never stop calling myself, calling myself a new Christ follower. Um, what I have learned as in the way of disciplines that probably you don't hear very often. The first one is the word predict. You need to be able to develop the ability to predict when you're going to sin. Ah, oh, if you could do that, right? It is so much easier when I have a client in front of me in the therapy chair that says, I'm broken, I'm a screw-up, this is what I'm doing, and I need help. If I don't have a client say that to me when we enter therapy, we can't even begin because they need to admit that there's a problem. This could be as simple as saying, if I don't get eight hours sleep, I am terrible the next day and I'm angry. And when I'm angry, I can't love my wife and my kids or I can't love my coworkers. I can't exemplify who Jesus is. This could be as simple as, well, maybe not as simple, as hard as, admit as admitting that you're gaming too much and you're up all hours of the night and you no longer connect with your wife. This could be as simple as saying, or as hard as saying, you smoke too much pot and you're not connected to the world because you're high all the time and it's leading to destruction of your soul. Please know that this is not easy. I put this step first because it's kind of the precipice for a disciplined life. You need to know where you need correction. You need to ask God for wisdom. You need to pray for God to give you the knowledge of knowing where your sin is. And if you don't know where it is, then you need to ask people around you and say, hey, can you tell me where I'm falling apart? Because I am so lost, I can't see it. And I want to speak to the mature, the mature Christians in the room, people like me who are old. Tyler. <laughs> um, don't think you've got it all figured out. I learn every day, every single day, that I'm still sinful. Yeah, I'm getting better, but I still need help. And I still need people to call me out on my stuff. 
And so I want to point out another verse, Romans 3.23. It doesn't talk about, this does not talk about where you're at in your spiritual maturity. Paul says here, everyone has sinned. We all fall short. All, all. I need you to like capitalize that if you're writing it down. All fall short of God's glorious standard. We mess up every day. And, you, and predicting where you sin is like the key to spiritual discipline because it doesn't mean that you're not going to follow through with that sinful nature. What it means is that you can say, oh, I did it again. God, help me, please. And then you seek wisdom from other people. We must admit that we have a sinful nature. We all need boundaries. The second practice is the practice of pause. And I hate this one. I hate this one. One of the greatest disciplines of my life now, and if I'm being honest, one of the hardest ones for me, is this discipline of pausing. I even shared this weakness with you as I started my talk. Tyler messaged me, and because I struggle with overachieving as a sin pattern, I said, yes! I did not, I did not even ask questions. I did not pause. Sure, I'll speak. What do you need me to speak about? Oh, discipline. <laughs> great. That's great. Um, yeah, I'm still a student of the practice of pause, but pausing to pray, pausing to breathe, pausing to process your feelings, pausing to listen, pausing to just be still, oh, this is profound. When you can get into the practice, the discipline of pausing, your life will immediately change. We live in a culture that tells you to do more, be more, accomplish more. We live in a culture where we're doing all of the things, where we fill up our social media pages with this amazing adventure that is our life. And if we are really being serious, it's a badge of honor. We're like, yes, we were busy this weekend. We did all of the things. Look at the pretty pictures. Hmm. The problem is that's not really a badge of honor at all. Because on the inside, have you stopped long enough to just pause and say, what do you want me to do next, God? So practice the pause. Practice the pause is my new badge of honor. I should get a t-shirt or something. Mother Teresa was an, ex an ex outstanding example of blending the act of doing with the act of being. She lived a very active life, built a massive ministry helping the most poor people in the world, and yet she stopped five times a day to pause, to pray. She said her prayers didn't support her work, but rather her, her work was the fruit of the prayer. I don't know about you, but I was like flipped upside down when I heard that. So how did she do it? Like what was the practical step she took? She actually scheduled, she actually scheduled regular sacred pauses each day. She did this to nurture her inner withdrawal, her solitude, her, to nurture her listening heart, to silence herself so she could hear God's voice and to stop and just be still to watch what was happening around her. I can't even imagine if I practiced that five times a day what would happen in my life. I have a hard enough time doing it once a day, but I'm working on it. I think we have it backwards in our culture. I think we need to pause more often. I think COVID made this very clear to all of us. I think we need to pause. I think we need to fast. I think we need to pray. I think we need to just stop doing and start listening to what God has to say to us. So practice the pause. The third one is to pursue knowledge. I am hungry for knowledge. That's evident in my resume, but it's also evident in the way that I pursue people and wisdom through those people. We have to be hungry for change, and we have to be hungry to share the change like my son was about the fireplace, the hot, you know? 
You have the best news in the whole world sitting at your fingertips. And that is the fact that Jesus can transform your life. You need to pursue that good news like your life depends on it because it does. He left us with a commandment to do it. It is the greatest commandment to love God and love your neighbor. Tell everybody about Jesus. I want you to know that this is a first world problem here. We have this in North America, this problem that we don't want to like upset anybody or, you know, we don't want to offend anybody by sharing the good news of the gospel. I had the blessing to be a part of this global congress through the Bible League of Canada. And it was leaders from all across the globe that got together who their simple commonality was that we share scripture in our ministry. That was it. Like Tyler could have been there. It was amazing. When I met my brothers and sisters in India who said, when I sit on the bus, the person beside me, he needs to know about Jesus. I thought, oh my goodness, I like look down in the grocery store because I don't want anybody to catch my attention. Like, because then I might have to talk to them. And I'm in a rush because I haven't paused today. Right? Pursue the knowledge so that you can share the knowledge. When Aiden found out that that fireplace was hot, he told everybody, don't touch the fireplace. It's hot. When you find out that Jesus is the transforming power that's changed your life, tell everybody. Pursue the knowledge of that power and then tell everybody. Perspective is my next one. A few years ago, I began a journey called the 365 Days of Gratitude. It was a stupid social media thing. And within 30 days, I regretted my decision. (laughs) No joke. I just want to be real with you all. The concept was that I was going to find 365 unique things that I was thankful for. And I need you to know, I signed up thinking this was going to be a breeze for me because I am optimistic and I see the world through rose-colored glasses. I love everyone I meet. Like, I'm like, whoa, bring it on. I love you. You're amazing. And then my world started to shift. Like, I mean really shift. My mom got really sick, almost died a couple times. My workplace became incredibly toxic for me. I started to experience incredible burnout as a ministry leader. And then, oh, this thing called COVID happened. And my world stopped. So I really wanted to quit the challenge, but because I'm an overachiever, it kind of worked for me in, in, in this favor and taught me that the perspective of gratitude, the perspective of being thankful for this life that I have, even when circumstances suck, it changed everything for me. The reason I did it is because I knew, I had done research, I had done an essay or uh, written uh, a paper on the fact that many studies prove that it actually changes your biology when you sit in a place of gratitude. And I thought, that can't be true, I'm going to prove that it's not true. But it actually does, it boosts your immune system, you have better cardiovascular health, you actually sleep better at night, it decreases aches and pain. It actually, the the National Institute of Health has proven that it changes the way your hippocampus works. Like, it actually changes things. Your posture of gratitude, when you can see the world from the perspective that, that things might be bad, but wow, am I ever thankful that I got to eat today? It changes everything. And it brings to life 1 Thessalonians 5.18, to be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you, you, for anyone who belongs to Christ Jesus. All circumstances. The ones that scare the crap out of you and the ones that don't. When you're happy and when you're sad. My change in perspective changed everything for me. I started to see my family differently. I started to see my work differently. I started to see God differently. And that led me to my fifth, dis- my fifth discipline, 
and that is the discipline of understanding progress over perfection. You can't be an overachiever and not crave perfection. I need you to be, I need to be 100% clear with you. I entered into a relationship with Jesus for very selfish, selfish reasons. My life was broken. My marriage was falling apart. And I wanted him to save me, right? I mean, that's... But I thought I would arrive at that place where I would be saved. And I would say, yes, this is over. My struggles are gone. I don't have anything to worry about anymore. I have made it. I need you to know that that never happened. And he saves me a little bit every day. And so that is progress. It's not perfection. I will never make it this side of heaven. I will never make it, you know? I will never arrive at this existential destination that we dream about. I will never arrive in that place. Not until I'm in heaven with him. And I think sometimes as Christians, we get this story wrong. You know, we say to people, Jesus is the answer, he's the answer. And he is. But you need to tell people the second half of that story. And guess what? He's going to change everything about your life. Everything. And it means a shift for you. You need to understand that progress takes time. And what you need to assess your discipline on is whether your feet are pointing towards Jesus or away from him. And so if you're pointing towards Jesus and you take just a little step forward every single day, guess what? You have succeeded. Progress is something that is completely backwards in our society. Everybody tells you that if you just self-care enough, if you just read this self-help book, if you listen to this motivational speaker, if you try this scheme, you will be the happiest person in the whole world. And that is simply not true. Every day, just ask yourself simple questions like, did my decisions today bring me closer to Jesus or farther away? Did I feel connected to my creator today? When I walked through my day, could people see him on my face and in my soul? Did I love well today? Did I see Jesus in the things that I was doing? Some days you'll say yes, and some days you'll say no. And that's okay. Don't give up. Tomorrow, just choose the discipline of progress again. You're never going to arrive. There are so many practices that I could have shared with you today, but those are the ones that came to mind as I prayed. And I need you to know I prayed a lot. I said to Tyler when I arrived today, I have been so distracted writing this talk, and I'm never distracted. I love, I absolutely love doing public speaking. It's one of those weird things about me. Most people, like, despise it, but, like, people like Tyler and I were like, yeah, bring it on. Like, I want to speak. I'm that person. It's weird. Um, but I was distracted. So somebody today in this, in this community needed to hear this message, and I pray that it, that it blessed you. I'm going to leave you with one simple prayer, and I actually just added this last night. When I, I came, when we, my husband and I went to this beautiful wedding yesterday, Christ-filled wedding. You know, I just love weddings. I love weddings that honor the covenant of marriage. And they, they actually shared this prayer, and I had forgotten about it. I knew it was in the Bible, but it, it didn't come to mind until last night, so I actually changed my talk at the very last minute. And I, I know that Tyler and his beautiful wife are working hard to grow you. And I know that God is growing you. I can feel it in the room when I'm here. And I know that you're looking to 
mature and invite and bring, and we need that. Our world needs that. And so I'm going to share with you Paul's prayer for spiritual growth that he shared in Ephesians, because I think it's where you're at. I think it might be where you're at. I know it's where you're at. So um, just close your eyes and listen to these words from Scripture. When I think of all of this, and he's referring to spiritual growth and the instructions he's, give, he's given in this letter, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, to the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, that he will empower you each, each of you, everyone in this room, that he will empower you with inner strength through the Holy Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts. As you trust in him, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is for you. May you experience the love of Christ though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever imagine, than we could ever think for collective church. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.